Get your coat on, stopwatch at the ready, you're headed out for a walk or cycle. Let's see how far you get in 15 minutes, and more importantly, what local stores, parks, and amenities you pass by on the way. Do you live in a 15-minute city? It has to have a central location. It has to be connected to the dynamic life of the city. It has to be well-connected by public transport. I'm Ed Whitaker, and a warm welcome to the podcast, the podcast from Patrizia, the leading investment manager and partner in global real assets. In this podcast series, we offer you insights on a range of hot topics from the real assets industry, from important sector trends to key business developments and strategic decisions. In this episode, we're learning about the 15-minute city, a concept of urban planning designed to enrich people's lives by ensuring they have easy access to all the essentials to thrive in city life. You need to commute, you need to enjoy, you need to supply yourself, you need to educate and work, and you need to, let's say, live and care yourself. That's Marcelo Cajillas, Head of Data Intelligence at Patricia. He joins our panel alongside Timo Hammerlinen, Urban Policy Advisor at Urban Finland, who you heard from at the beginning. Now, we can better understand 15-minute cities when we put urban life under the microscope. In this episode, we'll be discussing the mega trend of urbanization and exploring how it is shaping the communities and economies of tomorrow. And we'll be delving into the role of data intelligence in making smarter investment decisions and even smarter cities around the world. But first, let's find out more about the 15-minute city concept, which is influencing the thought process of urban planners across the globe. Here's Timo. I would describe it as a vision for building cities in a way that embraces density, proximity, and mixing things together as opposed to a city where things are very segregated in their own areas. And I think fundamentally it's the idea that if you live somewhere, you would have access to all types of amenities you need in your daily life within a 50-minute radius that you don't have to travel to the other side of the city to get basic services but they're very close to you it's about bringing people and things in the city amenities closer together we started looking at the 15 minutes concepts from a technological perspective so once uh, moreno published a paper about the chrono urbanism we asked about uh, how could we measure the readiness of a city or a location towards this concept and we had two options the first one was to create a, a top-down economic approach which would be evaluating the walkability or the cyclability of the, of the city or of, of different parts of the city. And we had an, a bottom-up amenities approach, which is where are amenities located. And from these two concepts, we created a, a way and an understanding that both measurements are important when defining what a tenant needs at a certain location. And the, the bridge towards, uh, from, let's say, from technology to um, algorithms is the way of evaluating what we know about the market. With this, we created the, the algorithm that is um, evaluating and perhaps translating the idea of Moreno into a number from 0 to 100. And this is what we call today the amenities magnet 15 minutes. And I guess it's the idea that one city can have multiple and will have multiple 15-minute cities within its area. Take New York, for example, I don't know, but that could potentially have Manhattan as one and then different areas around. Is that is that kind of how the concept goes? In my opinion, yes. I think 
any city that has a kind of a large and uh, continuous dense urban structure is the playground for the 50-minute city concept when you think about Paris, Berlin, New York. It's the continuous structure. It makes makes it possible that you can have this experience when you live somewhere inside it that things are very near to you and you don't have to go very far to get it. So it's not like building a one 50-minute city somewhere, but it's more of a a paradigm for for what cities should be like. And Marcelo, what are some of the categories of amenities that that we look at when we look at the 15-minute city and and the proximity of particularly residential areas to these amenities? What are the some of, some of the categories that you look at? What we were able to do is to, to translate the chrono-urbanism in, into numbers. And one of the assumptions of the amenity magnets 15 minutes is that the quality of life is inversely proportional to the amount of time invested in transportation. That means if you can um, reach everything you need from a daily basis within 15 minutes, well, that increases your um, your welfare or the, or the tenant welfare. And by doing that, what we also um, looked at is how we can translate the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. And we are in line with the, the 11th um, goal, which is the sustainable cities and communities. So what we're trying to do is to start measuring safe, resilient and sustainable cities from a, from, from a different perspective. And the idea uh, inside of the amenities magnet was tenants or any resident has, broadly speaking, seven different needs. You need to commute, you need to enjoy, you need to supply yourself, you need to educate and work, and you need to, let's say, live and care yourself. And for, for commuting, of course, we consider railway stations uh, or bus stops. For enjoying, it is a restaurant or a bar. For supplying, it might be a supermarket or, or a bank. For educating, that's self-explaining as a kindergarten or a school. For working, you might need a, a hotel or a tram store. For caring, you need doctors and, and let's say hairdressers. And for living, you might need a playground or a park. And how well a location fulfills the demand of, of the resident, well, that's a, a numeric problem that we solved in this algorithm. And today, what we found out is that every part of the city can be defined as a city. And for us, one important aspect was to define the 15 minutes. And for this, we agreed that the 15 minutes is, let's say, 15 minutes by bike. The UN estimates that 68% of the world's population will live in cities by 2050. But the urbanist Carlos Moreno, well known for creating the 15-minute city concept, says our cities are still driven by the paradigm of the oil era and its impact on roads and general urban planning. In his article on chrono-urbanism, he argues that we must be creative and imagine, propose and build another pace of life in order to live better and more sustainably. So what is needed to make sure we keep pace with urbanisation and address the challenges we face to shape better communities of tomorrow? Here's Marcelo. I think urbanisation is the trend that will accompany us for the next decades. And what we have learned so far is that uh, urbanization towards the cities is a big challenge. A challenge for cities to supply the population with the needed infrastructure 
And with grow cities growing, this is a, a, a challenge from the infrastructural perspective. But uh, what we also found out is that, that the benefit of urbanization is in the creation of employment and in the exchange of ideas and perhaps in the high creation of value through the exchange of many industries, many type of workers and many diversification of knowledge. So this will increase in the future and that is uh, perhaps the place to be for certain real estate strategies. I also think that urbanization, yes, is going to define what our world will look like in the future. And I, I think you could say that this urbanization phenomenon can be split into kind of two different streams. So cities will keep growing, but it looks slightly different in the so-called global south, where you have very rapid urbanization and uh, people are moving to cities kind of sporadically, and it's not so much in control. And then on the other hand, you have the industrialized countries, which are highly urbanized already and in this context it looks a little bit different they are like these big knowledge hubs that marcelo mentioned they're gaining population and people want to stick there and then on the other hand you have areas that are not doing so well and kind of you could say also declining in population so slightly different challenges in different parts of the world is urbanization predominantly being driven by people wanting to move to cities or the continued growth and sprawl of urban areas swallowing up other locations around them? Cities are sexy because of the opportunities. If we look at the demand for, for, for labour today, so we are less focused on one industry and one specific uh, job description, but are now looking more I think, into the diversity and the creation of knowledge and, and, and ideas. So that is, I think, the way the labor market will uh, develop in future, which is creating uh, new ideas, creativity, and let's say new ways of de de defining, discovering how we can create value. And this is perhaps the, the factor that makes large cities uh, attractive, which is you can uh, be in the center of a very of a very large labor market and um, exchange ideas, knowledge, and contribute to perhaps to what companies are looking for, which is moving forward towards um, towards innovation. And that is, I think, one important aspect that is a common denominator of this urban metropolitan areas um, today and in the future. Marcelo, you've you've mentioned um, a lot of the benefits of urbanisation already, particularly around value creation and the creation of jobs and knowledge sharing. It would be good to hear both your views on some of the challenges of urbanisation, particularly, I'd imagine, on the um, the pressures on infrastructure that it provides. I think what we um, are currently observing in in many, not only let's say in in the big cities, but overall in Europe, is that the infrastructure needed to supply and to let's say maintain um, cities working is is very difficult. So we're not talking about only the healthcare sector. We're not talking um, only about the let's say the logistics and supply sector. We're talking more on government expenditure. Um, for taking care of, let's say, of the of the streets, um, of the energy supply, uh, that is continuously, I would say, a, a damage or, or can be damaged um, very fast, and that is, is something that is a challenge for, let's say, for the regulator or for the or for the government to to continue and to maintain. At the same time, 
I think the expenditure for maintaining uh, this, for keeping the system running is an opportunity because this will be the sectors that will drive labor demand um, in the future. So what we know, for example, today is that um, scientific activities, the health and social work and uh, the information sector and people working in these sectors contribute to demographic growth. So that means in order to maintain the system and to cope with the, with the challenges, jobs will be created, especially in the sectors where cities are needed to grow um, in the future. One major challenge is uh, the housing supply because it's not very easy to plan and build more housing in these areas where people are moving in and, and are growing on their own, which makes, of course, housing very expensive and causes uh, segregation and, and all that. So cities have a big challenge on, in how to keep up with building or like opening the doors for new housing and, of course, doing a more social housing. And then on the other side, you have this from a kind of public policy perspective, the, the infrastructure investment side, where, of course, when you have more people, you have to invest into schools, you have to invest into healthcare centers, libraries and all that. Where do you get the funding for this? And this is where the central government also comes in. What is it in a country? How, how is the central government supporting the growth of these cities or are they helping fund public transport and all these big investments or are they kind of stepping back and making it more difficult for cities i think you have to central governments should essentially jump on board of urbanization very strongly because otherwise it's hard for cities to keep up when planning for urbanization should uh, investors city planners and policymakers also take into consideration some of the other mega trends that we're seeing, such as demographic changes, the need to decarbonize and digitalization. Definitely. I think the future of, of any city today is a mix between the private sector and the governmental sector. I think the fight for, for talent has already started, and this is a trend that we are seeing all across all, ac all across the real estate industry and all other industries, and this requires both parties to work together. So today, I think the, the survival of the, of the city as a concept is involving what the private sector can contribute together with the government to build up a very robust city. We're getting near that 15-minute mark. Are you still walking or cycling and managed to find everything you need? If not, perhaps a home in a 15-minute city is for you. A big piece of the puzzle in creating 15-minute cities is data. We need to know the drivers of comfortable city living and exactly what people want and need in close proximity. And Marcelo says we are beginning to understand what those essentials are. Data intelligence is um, the starting point after we have been able to connect, clean and understand the data. So today we merged at, at Patrizia roughly 30 different databases for single purposes. So for example, we, we know what is the attractiveness of a location by means of all amenities that we have from OpenStreetMap. We know today what are the value drivers of rents at city level. And data intelligence is one or has one seat on the table. That means we have our colleagues on the ground that know the market, feel the market, and data intelligence provides one opinion. One opinion based on, let's say, algorithms that tell us 
this location is an 80 and we think uh, you should look at rents between 10 and 11 euro per square meter. And this is an opinion that has been or is purely database. And with this, our colleagues either comply or can comply or can't, let's say, disagree if they know something additional um, from the market. So this is the way the data intelligence provides knowledge and perhaps anomalies into the discussion table when it comes to um, investing or disinvesting in, in real estate. How are you using that data and that technology to help our clients make smarter investment decisions? Actually, every day. So when we um, assess locations, we are providing to our colleagues and to our um, existing portfolios an overview of how the city and how these locations have changed during the last four years, whether they have experienced an improvement in terms of availability of, of amenities. And this is, let's say, part of a wholesale analysis. So every year we have for different portfolios a discussion about where we are and where should we be. And one part of this evaluation of the current market is the opinion of data intelligence that is telling us rents have evolved with this pattern at this part of the city and this part of the city has not improved. And unfortunately, you are part of this location. So this is a, a an opinion and a way of understanding what is happening at city level from an, on a very granular um, level. What we also do today is we provide answers to very specific questions. When it comes, for example, what we know today is, is we can quantify certain certain aspects. One of them would be, for example, is there an energy efficiency discount or premium in the market? And what is the willingness to pay for energy efficiency? Well, we know by how much should or could the rent increase because of energy efficiency. Another example is what is the relationship between air pollution and rents? Well, we know, for example, that in, in highly polluted areas, rents can decrease on average by roughly 4%. We know, for example, today that the urban fabric is expanding at a different speed across cities. I think one of our examples is, is Dublin. So Dublin is perhaps the most dynamic city <laughs> I've been in, in experimenting with because the city is evolving at such a speed that the numbers change every year very fast. So we know today how we can understand cities from a different perspective. And the value add of data intelligence to our clients and to our existing portfolios is perhaps answering general questions, but finding anomalies in the market. And for anomalies, we apply technology that tells us look at markets from a different perspective. Timo, can you just talk about some of the real life projects from your own experience that you think could benefit from a data-led approach to city planning and investing? Yeah, I think any concept that has a clear vision of where it wants to be in the city can benefit from a data-led approach, really. I can give you an example of the project that I work with, which is the Alice Pool Swimming Pool Facilities. We have one successful project already in the city center here in Helsinki. It's called Alice Sea Pool Helsinki. So it's basically a float, semi-floating swimming pool, saunas, restaurant facility. It's very popular. It's one of the top visitor destinations in the city. And we 
we want to take this amenity to other cities as well now. And we're looking at city centers across Europe in the bigger cities. But the thing is that we know that it works because of some parameters. It has to have a central location. It has to be connected to the dynamic life of the city. It has to be well connected by public transport because we want our customers to arrive not by car, but by sustainable modes of transportation. And they actually do. And we need to have enough people around as potential customers to drive a swimming business. So we've created some metrics to look at these things, different locations in cities to support our decision making. If if we have, I don't know what would be a good example, say Stockholm, which we're also trying to conquer. If we have different options or where we could be, then this data really helps us prioritize which place is better over the other. So it's, I think, any concept that knows where it wants to be and how it wants to be part of the local urban life really can benefit from using this kind of location data. What we currently are seeing in the market is a an explosion of creativity. We found out, for example, there is a very interesting trend in the market, which is renting out the street lamps. So, for example, the city of Munich is trying to, to rent out the street lamps. And I think, for my opinion, it was very interesting to see how the city is, let's say, negotiating the rent of an asset that has been always <laughs> like a static asset, which is street lamps. It'd be good just to hear both your perspectives on some of the challenges or considerations when shaping urban environments using a purely data-led approach. Are there any challenges that come with that? I would say benchmarking location, understanding locations by means of technology is the first step. So we know today and we can benchmark a location from zero to 100 and identify what is missing and perhaps what should we build on if we can. But that is only the starting point. I think AI is came here to tell us where we are and it is our uh, our job and our our vision to understand the locations by visiting the locations and trying to understand beyond AI what is needed for the community. And that is coming back to, to, to the definition and the foundations we have for the amenities magnet 15 minutes, which is creating sustainable communities by means of understanding communities. And this is also one of the one of the goals of the United Nations that we as an investor are perhaps in a better position to understand how we should shape a location within the city. When you're using data to support your city building activities, I think it has to be very closely connected to a, also a vision for delivering better cities or you know, what kind of city do you want to achieve? Because you can get data out of anything. So if you just have data, it's not very useful unless it's used in a particular context to help support a goal and then you also have to have this experience-based approach because cities and urban environments they're highly complex systems that you really can't fully understand how they are or you can't really simplify their dynamics into just numbers and uh, scores i think in cities the experience of a place is more than the sum of its parts like my personal philosophy is a good indicator for of a vibrant and interesting city is its messiness, you could say. 
and I don't mean messiness in the way that there's like trash around, but I'm meaning that the kind of uses, activities, movement of people are kind of all mixed and layered without clear borders. You could think places like maybe a little bit over the top messy if you go to Naples, where it's just like kind of chaos. But these are things that cannot really be measured or even described easily. And it's just something that you have to experience. You know it when you see it, but it's kind of hard to to define. So this aspect has to be on the table as well. I fully agree with you, Timo, because, uh, for example, we have we have some some best practices and also lessons learned from our algorithm driven approaches. And one of them was uh, or took place in Barcelona, where we benchmarked an asset and the value was not, not, let's say, not really good from our opinion. So we would expect it a higher value. And by talking or when talking to, to our colleagues on the ground with our asset manager, he confirmed us that the amenities is not measuring, especially this intangible factors and he told us you know this location is a very good location and you will see a premium for this location because you are close to where the uh, football players of uh, the FC Barcelona live and you're actually living close to Piquet and on that time Shakira so this was an aspect that is not translated and can be measured in the numbers to be close to the place you should you want to be perhaps or you would like to be close to to this area and this is the i think the, the lessons learned that numeric approaches and and purely ai decisions will always need a a human to corroborate interpret and perhaps not be in line with these results Thanks to our guests, Marcelo and Timo, and thank you for listening. I'm Ed Whitaker, and you've been listening to the podcast from Patrizia. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to head over to our website, patrizia.ag, to find out more. Stay safe and healthy. Until next time. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.